Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go also and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, at this very moment, the beginning of a new year, we approach this new year with so many different perspectives, hopes, plans, resolutions. Some of us determine that this is going to be the year that we become the person we've always wanted to be, or at least take some tangible steps in that direction. Others of us remembering making those promises and goals time and again, And we're just exhausted of it because it doesn't seem to be materializing. We're full of hope and fear, of joy and sorrow, of optimism and confusion. We come to this very story of the wise men who approach you, Jesus, God in the flesh. 
and we wonder if we could even believe these things or how they might actually come to bear on our lives. But however we find ourselves in this very moment, believing, unbelieving, somewhere in between, help us to see that we have far more in common than we realize. On one hand, each of us created in your image and likeness, beautiful, sacred, honorable, dignified, and each of us wandering, (laughs) fractured, broken in some way or another, beautiful and broken, and you see us in all of that complexity. You know us and you love us. Your response is to move toward us in your sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive that, to trust that. That you'd teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed and send us out to be outposts of your renewing love wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, again, I want to wish you a happy new year, and I want to wish Florence a happy 17th wedding anniversary. As we turn the corner to this new year, I'm wondering, you know, have you developed any sort of traditions to start off the new year? One of my favorite traditions that we've rekindled since moving back to San Diego, I can't believe we moved back to San Diego almost five years ago now. It does not seem like five years. After being born and raised in Ocean Beach, living up in San Francisco for 13 years, it's been almost five years. And one of the traditions we've rekindled is called the Polar Bear Plunge in La Jolla on January 1st. And you guessed it, you go in the cold ocean with no wetsuit or anything like that. I mean, just little bragging rights. I don't wear a wetsuit in the winter anyways, but um, ever since I saw Octopus Teacher, that's a whole other story. (laughs) But polar bear plunge. Early in the morning, you go down to La Jolla Shores. Some people just go and dip their toe in and then come out. And they say, I did it. You know, they take a selfie. I went in the ocean on New Year's Day. Some people, like me, go with a buddy out past the breakers, and it was a big surf day yesterday. I don't know if you got out to the ocean, but it was beautiful and huge. So we get out past the waves, and we think we're safe. So we stop, and we, start, we just start chatting. We turn back toward the shore, talk about how New Year's Eve went, plans for the future. And then we realize the lifeguard who is patrolling on the jet ski is running for his life because a huge set of waves is about to come. We thought we were out in the safe zone. We weren't. And all of a sudden, this mountain of water begins to form far on the outside, and we make a break for it to get through it. Thankfully, we floated over the top just as the wave was about to break, and it was a long look down. That's an invigorating way to start the new year, and I lived. I survived to tell the story, and the crazy thing is I'll do it again next year. Now, here's what I learned in that moment. It was actually a refresher course. Maybe this will save your life sometime. You come to Renew Church, you get you know, spiritual wisdom, but stuff that might also just save your physical life, and that's great. You never step into the same ocean twice. People who have been going in that water for 70 years, 80 years will say, I still never take the ocean for granted because it's always changing. It's energetic. It's dynamic. It's not predictable. You can look at it and think, I've seen a day like this before at this very spot, and things can surprise you. One of the things I love about Scripture is it's quite similar. 
you can come to a story. You don't have to be a very often church-going type person to, under, to hear the story of the three wise men that go to visit Jesus or the three kings that go to visit Jesus. It's worked its way into popular culture. But the thing about Scripture as God's word is that it's dynamic. It's alive. You never come to the same passage twice, not necessarily because God's word changes, but because you're always changing. This world is always transforming. God is always present and active in this world. And so my hope for you and me today, whether this is the first time you've really pondered this passage or you do this once a year as part of the church calendar, that something fresh would happen in your life and in mine. So we find these wise men, and let me just give you an example. Like, maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But we sing the song at church, We Three, you know, we three Kings. Now here's the thing. For, on face value, just the very beginning, there's nowhere in here that says that there were three of them. There could have been an entire caravan. We know they gave three gifts, but we don't know how many people were there. I could give my wife three gifts on Christmas. It doesn't mean there's three of me. So first, we don't know there's three. Second, we don't know that they're kings. We know that they're wise men. Magi was the word. Magi, same root as magician, astrologers. An astronomer and astrologer study the stars and divine the future based on the stars were interlocked and interwoven. So these would have been educated, intelligent, most likely wealthy, judging by the gifts, pagan astrologers. These are the last people you would expect to be in the center of the story when God becomes one of us, and there they are right in the beginning. Now, in fact, someone right now says, you know, these are the stories that I think they're cute. I think they're lovely. In fact, they make me feel a little better about myself and the world, but they're just legends. They're just myths. These are just good stories that we roll out to tell ourselves to feel better. And most scholars will say, because these pagan astrologers would have been the last people you would expect to find near Jesus at the beginning of this story. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures of the people of Israel, it is forbidden to enter into fortune-telling or witchcraft or astrology or any of those things. And now here are the people that are doing those very things in the center. And most scholars will say, this story is... You, you wouldn't make this stuff up if you were trying to invent a gospel. These aren't the people that you would invite into the story to push forward your agenda. In other words, the only reason that the gospel writer Matthew would tell the story this way, including these people, is because this is how it happened. And the point of it is, Matthew is teaching us that Jesus has something to reveal about who God is. In fact, that's what we're going to be looking at over the next series of sermons and Sundays. As we kick off this new year, we're going to look at what Jesus reveals about coming alive together. And today, he reveals what worship looks like. The point of the season of Epiphany is not to point to ourselves, but to Jesus. Jesus made manifest in our lives, and then us manifesting that sort of love and life and renewal in this world. And as we do, then we have a series of epiphanies in our own life. Where you, what you previously thought was the ceiling of reality is actually the floor of another level. And this in invitation continues to go on and on. That's what happens to these wise men, the magi. And so let's just take a look at what this reveals about what we worship, who is invited to worship, 
and then how you know this is actually taking place in your life. See, I realize as soon as I told you we're going to look at today what this reveals about worship, several of you who are listening in or paying attention are going, oh, then it's automatically not about me because I'm not a Christian. Maybe you found this to be a safe, respectful, welcoming place where you can ask your questions and process Christianity, and you are celebrated here. You're welcome here. But maybe you're saying, you know, I'm not, I don't call myself a Christian yet, so that worship part doesn't really apply to me at this point. And I would make the case that we are not talking about what to begin to worship, because everybody in this room and joining online worships something. We are worshiping beings. Now, you might not use that phrase. You might not use that terminology. But whatever is in the center of your life that gives you significance, that is the object of your affection, the object of your worship. In fact, let's take it a step further, a step deeper. Whatever is in the center of your life will drive all sorts of decisions, values, and actions that will impact all the other aspects of your life. So the first question is, are you even aware that there's an object of worship at the center of your life? And do you know what it is? How do you tell what's going to give you joy? How do you know what's actually going to give you significance in a world where there's so much noise? How do you tell? Do you, do you consult your feelings? Now look, we are made both you know, intellectual and emotional beings. Okay? We're made both physical and spiritual beings. Your feelings are a gift from God, but they are, you know they're not always the best compass on the road of life. Have you ever made a decision, think about this, have you ever made a decision you thought was so right in the moment, and then later in hindsight you look back and said, what was I thinking? So your feelings are a gift, and they are part of the mix, but on their own they are not significant enough, substantial enough. So how do you decide? Do you set up the values of your life, that core driver, based on what other people say? Whether it's what the media says, or social media says, or your small group of friends around you says. The problem with that is, it changes. Popular opinion changes. Right? The same major ideas that everybody takes as truth right now on the op-ed column of whatever news feed you have will be laughed at in 50 years in the same op-ed column on that news feed. A lot of the experts you listen to right now in terms of values, like, you know, and right now I'm thinking of kind of um, influencer culture. That's going to look as silly to people in 50 years as the influencers 50 years ago looked to us today. So it matters to be a person in community and to respectfully care what other people think about you and to treat them well, but popular opinion is a poor barometer of the actual weather of your life. C.S. Lewis said, whatever 
is not eternal, is eternally out of date. And here's the thing, the wisdom of this world can help us diagnose our desires. It can arouse the desires in you. The problem is it can't tell you how to meet them, how to satisfy them. How do the magi get to Jesus? How do they figure it out? Now, I loved geeking out on that, the whole star phenomenon. There are, there are neat places where biblical, biblical scholarship and astronomy have intersected. I went to a, a show or a, a program at the planetarium at the Reuben H. Fleet Space Center where one of the best astronomers in San Diego was talking about how, you know, we were trying to figure out what the wise men could have seen, and there was supposedly some interjunction between Saturn and Jupiter that would have come together three times during A.D., uh, the seventh year of, of A.D., and uh, so that could have been part of it. Back in that day, astronomical phenomena were seen as reflecting what was happening on Earth. So if something important was happening on Earth, they would expect to find it in the sky in some way. These are people without iPhones, without TVs, without the internet, without you know, incandescent or LED light bulbs. These are people who looked at the sky a lot. And it is said that at one point um, in ancient time when Julius Caesar was buried, that there was a supernova that took place during that season. And that gave a huge kick to the astronomy and astrology business for a very, very long time. So it makes sense that these wise men who are consulting the heavens and reading for signs would see something taking place and say, I need to go and look for what's going on here. But how do they find specifically where Jesus was? Because the stars didn't tell them. They consulted the scriptures. The created order, the beauty of creation told them there was more to look for and so they went looking. But it wasn't until they consulted the scriptures that scripture in verse 6 is quoted, that's actually from the prophet Micah chapter 5. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers, for from you shall come one ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In other words, the beauty of creation led them to God's word, which led them to God's word in the flesh. And the point of that is, many of you are searching. There's got to be something the marvels of creation are pointing toward. Some of these epiphanies happen when you simply have a, a beautiful experience in nature. When you see an incredible sunset. You say there has to be more. Like it awakens something in you. Sometimes these epiphanies occur when you have a profound emotional experience. Usually either deep love or great loss. Love and loss are some of our greatest teachers in life. It awakens something more deeply in you. Sometimes it happens through a spiritual experience where you simply sense the presence that you are not alone, that you are more than just a bag of chemicals that lives out your days on a rock orbiting a star, and that's it. You know, there's more to this. There's this awakening in your experience You sense the problem. You experience the need. Where do you go to satisfy it? The wisdom of this world 
the popular opinion of society, your friends, social media. Those are going to be poor directors to lead you. You know, this is part of the reason why we have a lot of scripture in the service on Sundays, why we study scripture at community groups. When friends come and say, I'd like to know more about Christianity or spirituality, I say, let's start with Jesus in the scriptures as God leads us together. So maybe as you think through your year, if you want to grow spiritually, I'd imagine you do since you're here, let's think through what a plan for you to have a good, regular exposure to scripture in community might be. Maybe it's simply committing to be here every Sunday, or if you can't be here every Sunday, listening to the podcast or watching the video. Maybe it's inviting new friends into this church to increase the conversation that we have in our community. Maybe it's committing to be a part of the community groups that are starting up in a couple weeks. There are going to be two in person, and one of them is going to be on Zoom. So it's accessible to everybody. But the last thing I want for you is to spend another year where you say, gosh, I'm still haven't moved at all, still haven't grown at all. I, I, my hope for you, and there's, you have to hear, there's zero shame in this. I want you to have every resource, every availability to grow closer to God and closer to this community. That's what the Magi show us. They actually had to put some intention into it. And here's one of the things that shocks some scholars. They go, they're outsiders. They go and ask the religious insiders, because they don't know the Bible. They just go ask, how do I figure this stuff out? They ask the scholars, the the religious insiders interpret the scriptures for them, tell them that's where you'll find Jesus, your treasure that you're looking for, and the scholars, the religious insiders themselves don't go. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. Soren Kierkegaard writes about this. He says, although the scribes could explain where the Messiah should be born, they remained quite unperturbed in Jerusalem. They did not accompany the wise men to seek him. Similarly, we may be able to explain every article of our faith, yet remain spiritually motionless. The power that moved heaven and earth leaves us completely unmoved. What a contrast, Soren Kierkegaard writes. The three kings had only a rumor to go by, but it spurred them to set out a long, hard journey. The scribes, meanwhile, were much better informed, much better versed. They had sat and studied the scriptures for years, but it didn't make any difference. Who had the more truth? Those who followed a rumor or those who remained sitting, satisfied with all their knowledge? So there is a pondering and a receiving aspect to faith. You ask, what are you exposed to? How do you make decisions? How do you develop a vision for your life? Make this story the central core of all the other stories. And then there's an action that goes along with it, an intentionality, a moving of your life forward. What actions are you going to take to move forward this year? This is also why at Renew Church, like our, our program of the, the fancy church word is discipleship. Discipleship is simply the, the patterns that you have in your life so you could become more and more formed in the image and likeness of God that God created you to be. And our discipleship is not primarily giving you a workbook to fill out all the blanks in the workbook. There's nothing wrong with that, but it has to go beyond that. Our form of discipleship is Come in here hungry and be fed and then be sent out into the world to go and care for others. 
and then come back here and let's talk about what you're experiencing together, you will have new questions. I'll give you an example. You decide to help a neighbor who has needs that are just far greater than you can possibly meet. That's going to develop some muscles in you. A, you're going to be invited to pour your resources out in a way that you might not otherwise be invited to do. Now, I could teach a class on generosity at church, and we probably will because the Bible talks a lot about generosity. But it takes place in real time when you pour yourself out on behalf of others. But then as you do that, it leads to trust and faith because you begin to say, if I pour myself out like this, am I going to have enough? God, I need to trust you to provide in my life. I could teach a class on faith and trust, and we probably will, but it has to come into practice in your daily life. Now you're beginning to pray prayers of what I call healthy desperation. God, you need to come through for this person. And what's happening is your connection to God is increasing while your understanding of yourself is developing and your connection to your neighbor is deepening. You do that once, it transforms you a bit and your neighbor. We multiply that. This year, it transforms the entire city. That's the invitation. This passage instructs us on what worship looks like. It also reveals who can worship. And the answer is, you've heard this before from me. Who can worship? Everybody. Now look, I'm not making this stuff up. It's not just like Matt's a really inclusive guy and loves seeing everybody come in, so that's why the sermons always go in this direction. It's there in the scriptures from day one. Anybody and everybody. In fact, Matthew goes to great lengths to point out that these pagan astrologers were the last people that should have been involved in this story, and yet there they are, right in the middle. But that's not the only place. You see this in Jesus' genealogy. Before he's even born, some of the gospel writers go through a whole roll call of the people in his history, in his family tree. And they're people who lived in disgrace. God is identifying with people of all backgrounds, all walks of life, because he is the God who created all those backgrounds and walks of life and people. You see this throughout Jesus' ministry. It's always the holy religious people that try to call time out and push people away from Jesus and say, Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with fill in the blank. And Jesus would look at them and say, you have no idea about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is so surprising. And so when you picture the Magi from now on, please do yourself a favor. Do not just picture nice little grandfatherly wise men. I want you to picture idolatrous stargazers, right? Go down to Ocean Beach, to the, you know, the, the store called The Black, where they sell all the paraphernalia. Go there, find the person that looks most like ZZ Top, and just multiply that. These are the, these are the magi, except they're more educated and probably even more wealthy than ZZ Top at the time. People that are easy to, to dismiss, and yet they are at the center of Jesus' birthday party. <laughs> now let's contrast that with what we heard last week about the shepherds. So you look at these educated, pagan, non-Israelites, the Magi, and then you look at these uneducated, but at least within the nation of Israel, shepherds. 
and both of them meet together at Jesus. That's why in 2022 at Renew Church, our central unifying principle is not that we're all the same ethnicity. We're ethnically diverse. It's not that we all make the same amount of money every year. We're socioeconomically diverse. It's not that we listen to the same music or get our news from the same places. In this church, it's not that we vote the same ways together. Although your faith should inform how you vote, I understand that it also has more nuance to it. Pick any important topic, and I will say that is important, but it's not the central unifying principle of the church. The thing that holds all of us together, what I call the unlikely coalition of our church, or what I call the sociological impossible church. People who don't belong together, gathering together around Jesus for the sake of those who don't belong. People who don't normally belong together, gathering together around Jesus for the sake of those who don't belong. In other words, the life, death, and resurrection is what brings us together. You see him, and you're included in his royal family. And then you look around and you realize there are a lot of other people in that room that you might not choose if it was your choice. This is one of the reasons why Know Your Neighbor has been so important in the life of this community. And we're just getting started. And part of the philosophy of how we engage in our neighborhood is we don't do a thousand things really shallow. We're trying to do a few things really deeply with relationship. But as this church grows this year, grows in the number of people that are included, and on one hand, I always say this, we're not trying to be a mega church. We do want to have mega impact in our, in our society and in our city. So on one hand, we do care about numbers because each number is a person. We care that you love this church enough that you can wholeheartedly recommend it to your friends and your colleagues. And then as they join in, that also they receive benefit from it and come to life so they can invite more and more people. That's the sign of a healthy, organic, growing community. And as we do that, we're just scratching the surface with the impact that we can have in our neighborhood and in our city. I'm excited for this year with you. Who gets to worship? Everybody. Now, how do you know this is taking place? Just real quick. How do you know that you're actually worshiping the king, that this seed has come into your life and actually put down roots into the soil and things are being transformed? The first thing is, their action was, they knelt down before him. Recognizing he is the true king and he gets to override decisions in your life. This is terrifying. I think this is why when Herod, by the way, Herod was the Roman puppet king over that region, over the Jews. He had given himself the title, guess what it was? King of the Jews. So when the Magi came to him and said, where has been born the king of the Jews? We want to go worship him. Can you imagine how threatened Herod was? I can give a whole sermon on this. It's, he was so threatened, it says, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Because when a dictator is threatened, everybody else usually pays for it. 
But Jesus comes to you in peace and says, one of the ways you'll know these things are actually taking place is when you can bend the knee to me, when you can bow your life to me, but you're not doing it out of fear. You're not doing it out of compulsion. You're not doing it out of guilt. You're doing it because you've seen me not only as useful or helpful or powerful, but you've seen me as beautiful. That you see, Jesus says, you see me not only with power and authority, but power and authority that bends down to serve you. Maybe this is a question for you this week as you think through how you want this year to go. What are areas of your life where Jesus needs to override your particular authority? The second thing is, they not only bend the knee, but they give him gifts. You know these things are taking place when you begin to pour out your finest resources toward Jesus. When you begin to say, my finances are to be used for his kingdom. When you begin to say, my ability or my talent, I'm good at these things. I want to invest them not only to make money for myself, but I want to invest them on behalf of other people. Maybe this is part of the answer to the question of life's meaning. It's to devote one's good gifts to God's king who comes to you. As he has given himself to you, you give yourself on behalf of others. It's also significant that the wise men return to their own country and it must have been tempting for them to stay in Bethlehem, considering all the joy they experienced. But part of the way they knew that these things were taking place was that they actually went back to their own people with a story to tell. Who are you invited to share the story of what God's doing in your life and in this world? And what does that look like? But, and finally, they not only go back to their own country, but they go a different way. And that becomes a metaphor for life with Jesus. That you still live in this world. You still enjoy this world. You jump into this world and you do it differently. Christian friends, a question for us to ask is, is there anything distinctive about your life because you follow Jesus? Is there anyone you can say, I probably wouldn't be friends with this person if I wasn't a Christian? I probably wouldn't be spending my money in this way if I wasn't a Christian. I probably wouldn't be viewing my career in this way if I wasn't a Christian. There's a different way of going about things. This is the time to think through how do you want to do things differently in your life. There's an apocryphal story of a sign that was at the beginning of the Oregon Trail, the real Oregon Trail that would lead, you know, the homesteaders out west and all that. And they had these huge caravan wagons, and the wagons had huge wooden wheels, and the wooden wheels would go through the mud and create these big ruts. And once it was in these deep ruts, you couldn't get the wagon out. It was stuck in it. It was stuck in a rut. And there was a sign that said, choose your rut wisely, for you will be in it for the next 1,000 miles. Friends, you have a gift today. You get to choose your rut. You get to choose the story that you live according to. Now here's the thing. You will never choose to live your life according to following Jesus the King until you see he's unlike any other king that you've ever seen or heard of.
Because history books are full of authorities that are tyrants or dictators or warlords. But Jesus, the king in the manger, is entirely different. And the clue is in the gifts that the Magi bring to him. Gold is a gift you would give to royalty. They're recognizing that he's the true king. Incense was primarily used in the temple as part of a visual representation of humans coming together with the divine, of meeting with God. And so they're already prefiguring, Jesus, you are the true temple where God and humans come together. But myrrh, what's that? I remember a long time ago, Starbucks had a campaign on the sleeve of their coffee. It said, what is myrrh anyway? What is myrrh? Myrrh was an ancient spice that they would use to embalm bodies for burial. What an odd gift to give to a baby. And they're saying this is a king like any other, unlike any other. A king that will bring us closer to God because he is God himself. And this king will give his life on your behalf. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why you're invited into that grander story. And so give yourself to him. Give him your greatest gifts. Choose to go another way because you follow a different king. And as we do, we'll come alive together. And this world will be transformed more and more into his glory. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would be convincing us as you did that first day when those magi arrived. In the midst of all our searching, seeking, and striving, the last thing we want is for this next year to be more of the same from last year. More anxiety. More fear. Instead, we pray that you would break through and bring hope, faith, joy, peace into our lives and into this world. And give us the grace to respond now to that great gift, your son Jesus Christ, who gives light to the world. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.